0: Hello and welcome to episode seventy-three of Command Space on Five by Five. My name is Mike Curley, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Mr. Andy Bayo. Hi, Andy. How are you?
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Andy, what do you like to be known for?
1: Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, this is something I've been grappling with my entire career. I I don't know what I do anymore. I do I do a mix of writing and 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 programming, but I've produced an album. I've you know, I, I put on an event uh, every year. I I really don't know. the 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 short version is that uh, I make things, uh, things that usually end up on the web,
0: <laughs> <laughs> in some form.
1: In some form, yeah. And so, uh, you know, my newest project is XOXO, this festival and conference about uh, about independent art and uh, technology, and um, I'm working on new stuff as well.
0: Awesome. So. We're going to get into a few of the things that you've done today, but I think anybody that, that is familiar with you um, knows that you've done many, many, many things that span lots of different like media types. Um, so like you've done a festival, you've recorded an album, you write things online, you've created websites and projects and stuff like that. So I want to kind of, kind of try and understand a little bit about where this came from. Um, so what were your interests when you were growing up?
1: Oh, um yeah, when I was a kid, I was uh I was definitely into computers and, and games. Uh but the the thing that changed everything for me was connecting to uh, BBSs. The first time I ever connected to a BBS was with a 300 baud modem with my Vic-20. Uh and the moment that I had connected to someone else out there, um and knew that other people were were interested in this this thing that i was doing uh, as well it uh, it just blew everything wide open for me and then and then the the next major transformative moment was the first time that i i got on the web um and realizing that you know it's like it's one thing to be able to connect to a local bbs and and you know you're you're reading messages that someone had posted before you and then you disconnect and then other people log in and you know on that usually just one phone line and and seeing this interaction happen uh serially like one one person at a time and then it's another thing to to go and uh realize that the you know a massive subsection of the world is is connecting to this thing um, yeah so it was for me the 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 interest was not in the technology itself but in using it as a communications medium um and that carried on through through college. It's what I focused on. I didn't do computer science. Uh, i in fact, I didn't even teach myself to code until after i after I got out of college I was actually went to school for journalism and uh, and then after uh, after college realized that in order to 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 make the things make new ways for people to uh, to interact and and make more interesting. Projects. I needed to teach myself to code, and I did that. And uh, like starting in around 1999, and have been doing a mix of those two things ever since. Writing on my site, waxy.org, which I've been doing for about 11 years, um, and and doing interesting coding projects, which like upcoming.org, which was a social event calendar that uh, ended up being acquired by Yahoo. Uh, my most recent coding project was a uh, was a site called Playfic, which was like a side project, but it's it's a way of uh, making it interactive fiction, like text adventure games in the browser. It's being used by schools to teach kids how to how to program, which is awesome. Um, you know, that's a uh, it's it's been it's the, the running theme throughout uh, uh, throughout my career has been trying to use. Uh, use technology in a way to connect to people in different, interesting ways.
0: Having sort of looked at all of the things that you do, like, you know, you have all these, these, these different projects, you know, that, that they are kind of tied together in the idea that there's, like, computing and, and some things like that behind it, but how do you decide what you're going to spend your time on at any given moment?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, usually it's uh, it's scratching an itch, you know, if I if I make something that I want, then I know that even if nobody uh, likes it or uses it, at least it will have had value for me, um, and that means that sometimes I end up doing really oddball projects that i'm the only person really that uh that cares about it supercut.org is is probably the best example of that where you know a few years ago i wrote a blog post where i'd, I'd noticed this trend of people doing videos that spliced spliced out one particular uh aspect of like a tv show or a film and uh and then they put it all together into into one like rapidly cut video and so i coined the term supercut and after that i was like There needs to be a site for these things, so I spent time to go make one, and and you know it it ends up being the largest database of these, uh, these ridiculous videos. Uh, I'm the only person that cares. Like I, I doubt, you know, there's more than a a handful of people in the world that that particularly care about that site, but I I wanted it to to exist, and I'm glad that it does. Uh, So it's a great measure. You know, if you make something that, uh, that you want, then, you know, you, you know that you haven't really, you haven't wasted your time. Um, and kind of bloop was a similar thing. Like the, the album that I did, I just, I wanted to hear what chiptune jazz would sound like. And, you know, either you, that's something you're going to care about or you're not like, you know, from those two words, it's, it's like either really alienating or it's something you're like, yeah, that's, that's something that I, that sounds interesting. And, uh, I, I like I like chip tunes and I like jazz and I wanted to hear what those uh, those two things would sound like together. So you know, I used um, I used Kickstarter very very early on. That was a uh, it was the first month of uh, in Kickstarter's launch um, to fund that album. And I'm glad that it came out. I mean, it was uh, it ended up being a being a project that I'm really happy with the way that the album came out. Um, it ended up causing like years later it ended up becoming a big uh uh fair use and copyright story but and that was not pleasant but the but the album itself was you know like i did it because it was uh it was something that i wanted to see in the world so you know that's that's what guides my decisions
0: you go by the name uh wax pancake on on the internet where does wax pancake come from where does that name come from
1: yeah it predates waxy.org it's the funny thing um Wax pancake was I was at uh when I was in college I I DJ'd for a very short time and uh and I got it in my head that like a vinyl album mm-hmm. is like a you know they refer to vinyl as wax and to me like a vinyl album was uh, was like a wax pancake um and uh and so I I can't if I remember I was uh I was with my family my my mom and my my stepdad and my sister and we were like we're on some uh like some family vacation and and i was i was making fun i was trying to explain to them what like college dj uh like college radio sounded like and and the sets that were before and after me you know at three in the morning and and making fun of how it's just it's just like there's tons of white uh um white space or like you know it's like people just uh, uh, pausing for long periods of time while they're while they're trying to change records and it's super amateurish uh and then and then people will come on and be like uh that was a that was a a plaid sausage and uh, before that you heard wax pancakes and so like i I said that i was like huh that's stuck in my head and then you know i ended up i ended up using it for for a nickname because you have to have like a unique name online before that i was using uh in the bbs era i was using because I was a like 13 years old, I was using like Fink Ploid, and like <laughs> there's a billion. F- you go on when you get when you connect to the web, you realize how unoriginal all of your all of your like this <laughs> were. Yep. So I was using Fink and I was using a Doink D O I N K, which is like an old BBSN joke too. And both of those were like there was a wrestler named Doink the Clown. I was like, I can't use any of this. I need my own namespace. <laughs> so yeah, so I used Wax Pancake, and it's the f- and now it's like I'm at this point in my life where like so many of my friends have abandoned their old bbs handles and and you know they're using their name on twitter and i have andy Bayo on like i have that twitter username and i have waxy too which is shorter and more i don't know but i there's, there's something about that there's something about the uh the the quirkiness and kind of harkening back to to an earlier time that it, it, it's hard for me to to abandon it
0: you mentioned upcoming um and, or upcoming.org um a moment ago. What 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 was upcoming and where did the idea come from for that?
1: Upcoming.org was a collaborative event calendar. Um, and it was created at a time where social networks, the only social networks that, this is like the Friendster era era, right? Where um, you know, the idea of of uh, looking using your social graph for anything was still pretty novel and And what they were using it for was basically just looking at your social graph and, you know, meeting other people. Um, Friendster was used for, for, you know, dating and whatever. And I I wanted to to do two things. I wanted, like, I had this, again, scratching an itch. I I was going out to music a lot. I was going out to events, and I would lose track of the, the things that I cared about, and often... Like a friend would tell me, "Hey, hey, this thing is going to be coming up in a month, and then I would forget about it, or you know I would go i even like i bought I bought tickets for an event it was like i and then I totally forgot that I had tickets and it, it just seemed like such a stupid problem and and it seemed like for event discovery, for you know finding out interesting things uh that were going on around you that using the using your friends as a way to to kind of uh, look at that made a lot of sense and so uh, so I launched Upcoming in 2003, and, uh, and it, it did a couple interesting things. One was that it sort of treated every event like a blog post. Um, you know, every, like you would, anybody could go and add one and then say that you were attending it and then comment on it and, and later add photos and things, uh, which was very new. It was the first time that had ever been done, um, as far as I know. Yeah, you can never say first. You can't say first about anything in technology because <laughs> someone inevitably will come along. It was one of the. It was one. Let's say. Let's say that it was. It was among the first. Um, it's a safer bet, and uh, and then yeah, it used it used your friends to to show you what was what was going on around you, and uh, and importantly, you didn't need to have friends to use the site. It would surface uh, the most. Uh, the most active uh, events in in any given city or across the entire the entire site in different ways. So if you were new to a city or if you were traveling, then you'd be able to just hop on and and see things that you were likely uh, to be interested in, and um, and it worked it worked really well. And it it got to the point that it grew, you know, where. Um, you know, after Flickr was acquired, they uh, Stuart and Katerina, who started Flickr, reached out to to me. They were sort of tasked with bringing interesting projects into into Yahoo, and and I ended up going there, along with uh, along with my two uh, co-founders that uh, that came on board after I launched the site. And um, we stayed there for about two years, and and very quickly realized how how dysfunctional the place uh, the <laughs> place was, and, and ended up right. uh, ended up leaving when when. A contract was up and and you know after i left it sort of um it sort of devolved devolved to the point that they they ended up shutting it down uh but uh and now i'm back to missing events again <laughs> it's <laughs> a ridiculous it's a ridiculous thing it's like you know 10 years later back where like still still missing interesting events and you know there's 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 nothing quite like upcoming out there um, and it's uh, it's kind of a frustrating thing to me.
0: Only there was somebody <laughs> who knew how to build a website. Like I, know. That. <laughs> I know.
1: Yeah, people keep people keep asking me, but I uh, I don't know. I don't really not that excited about about revisiting problems I've I've done in the past. Although you know the good thing about that is that I um, I would do it in a totally different way um, now. But I don't know. I've got enough. I've got enough other projects going on right now. But yeah, it's a funny uh it's a funny thing. It just comes from uh I mean the best the, the biggest lesson that came from upcoming was was something that I knew early early on and it and it was uh you know, it was it was a risk that I took and and that was that you know, once you sell something, you're it's not your baby anymore. You you do not have uh control over it. You don't have um you don't have any say and you know, and especially after you leave. But even when you're there, like I saw what happened to to Josh Actor who sold Delicious and he even while he was at, at Yahoo he didn't have um you know, you really the moment that you sell it, you're basically you've lost control. Yeah. So, it's not yours so, anymore. It's not. And you know, that definitely plays into that and my involvement with Kickstarter, you know, has, has definitely <laughs> informed the, the projects that I'm working on right now, which are really about independence uh, you know maintaining creative and financial control over your own work um, you know not uh, taking funding that that causes you to to lose uh, to lose a risk losing ownership um, that let you decide how you how you run something and and ideally you know being able to do that for a long for a long time without uh, without having to to sell or without being pushed to um you know uh to do an aqua hire or whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I want to take a, just a very quick break um and when we come back I want to talk to you about some of the projects that that you've been running and, and are doing at the moment so This episode of Command Space is brought to you by the fine folks over at Squarespace, who are the all-in-one platform that make it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO12. So let me tell you what I love about Squarespace. I've been using them for many, many years, and for me, it's, it's just quite a simple thing. If I want to put a website on the internet... I got to Squarespace to do it because they make it really easy for me. I don't have to worry about um, learning how to code. <laughs> uh, I don't have to worry about finding a designer because they're not necessarily the skills that I have. I just want to put something on, on the web, and that's what Squarespace allows me to do. I can go in, take a look at their fantastic designs. They have really beautiful designs that you can start with, and they have loads of style options so you can craft your own site. You know, you can craft your own space online, but it's easy to do it. Like You choose one of their templates... Then you can choose the fonts that you want to use, and you can drag and drop things around the page using their page building tools. It's very, very easy to do. It's kind of like the way that you would want to build a website. It's just simple like that. It's like if you were going to say to somebody, go to the web and put something on the web, this is the way that they would envision that you would do something like that. They have 24-7 customer support, they have over 70 dedicated employees at, at, at Squarespace that just deal with customer support, so they're always there in case you need them, even over the holidays, they even had people in over Thanksgiving as well, so you know, they are dedicated to helping you out even on days when you might not necessarily be working on your website, just in case you are and you need help, they've got people that are there for you they have fantastic features like their e-commerce platform so they have squarespace commerce So if you want to set up a shop to sell things you can do that in just a few minutes and you can manage everything you can manage inventory shipping labels the whole thing the whole thing and you can show it all on any squarespace site you can integrate their commerce platform into so if you're the type of person that makes things and sells them online well not only can you get a great website which is really like fantastically looking but it's also got commerce built in, it's got a store built right in, they have payments, they work with Stripe to integrate payments, so wherever Stripe are, you can set up an account there too. They allow you to connect accounts like Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and many more, so you can have content going from those social platforms and services in to your Squarespace account and the other way around as well. So stuff that you maybe you post to your blog on your on Squarespace, you can post it out to Twitter automatically. I think you should go and try it out for yourself because I think that really until you see what Squarespace can give you and just how easy it is, you'll be until that you you will have no idea how incredible it will be and you'll be sold instantly. I'm sure. So you can sign up for a free trial, which will allow you to go in and play around with all of this stuff by going to squarespace.com. So you can go sign up for that now. It starts at just $8 a month once you decide to, to purchase a Squarespace plan, and they include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And don't forget, if you use the code TALLYHO12, that's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O-1-2, that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will also show your support for Command Space and all of 5x5. So thanks so much to Squarespace. They give you everything that you need to create an exceptional website.
1: So and, can add, I, and, and can yes, I add? I would love, please they uh they're a huge patron of of the arts. They uh yeah. they're a, they they're a patron of uh, of XOXO. They've been they've been outstanding. Uh and it's just overall a great company. I and mean, there's a, there's a few companies out there like Mailchimp, uh Dropbox, Squarespace that like are are funding so much uh, independent creative work and yep. uh, I'm hugely grateful to them.
0: honestly a lot of an it's an often used joke these days, but a lot of podcasting at this time, and maybe over the last two years, would not have been possible without them. So they are a great yep. supporter of this medium as well as many others. So thanks to yep. them. totally. So, so how long have you been writing uh, at waxy.org?
1: Oh lord, I started in uh, 2012, so going on, uh, I'm sorry, 2002. So <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> That just, uh, <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> hey, was, uh, <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Old enough now where the decades start blending together. No, two thousand two thousand two. Uh so so yeah, about uh a well, little over ten years.
0: Is the org like uh TOG a style thing for you, or is there a reason that you choose for your, your projects?
1: Uh well partly because finding coms, you know. <laughs> like the com namespace has has always been been way overcrowded. Uh but also, yeah, there's something there's something that feels like um, hobbyist uh, about .org to me. You know, I, I like initially the idea behind it was it was for you know nonprofits and other organizations, mm-hmm. but um, but in in the the early like weblog era, um, it was it was all it ended up being used by by a lot of independent people. You know, usually just like. One person wants to set up their set up their blog, and uh, so you end up with like kotky.org and and you know torres.org and a billion other uh, um, uh, independent people. When when like a.com felt uh, kind of more commercial, something you you know. So I don't know. I also <laughs> both waxy and and upcoming and a couple of other domains that I have came from uh, another side project that I did ages ago, where I wrote a script to sort of uh to just repeatedly query the uh um, uh whois server to find available like I, I i took a dictionary domain list and queried uh the .com .org and .net for every word in the english dictionary <laughs> 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 and then i published the results and i ran it a few times and would publish diffs between them and of course i, would, I i'd get first pick cuz i ran the thing so uh so Waxy.org. I'd been using Wax Pancake as my name, and then and then Waxy.org was available. I saw that it was in there. I was like, God, that's awesome! So I registered that. I got Upcoming.org at that same time, long before. Uh, I mean, this had to have been like th- two or three years before uh, before I did Upcoming, um, and uh, and so I got that one. And another one was Meaty.org, which I still have. M e a t y, which I, you know never ended up doing anything with uh yeah so
0: i uh i think that there's probably these days there are people's whose jobs that is you know to sit and just there definitely is i mean i'm, I'm sure that some domain registrar companies do it themselves like just sit and wait for these to pop up and they just register them
1: yeah they do they do um it's part of the reason I'm excited to like see all of the new um, TLDs appear, just to just to finally, hopefully, end this ridiculous like domain squatting thing. I mean, it, it it's not going to end it because you know .com is you know still like the, these standards last for so long. But uh, you know, more TLDs means means more short, memorable names, and that's that's only can only be a good thing.
0: So what is Waxy.org to you? Is it a personal blog where you put your own views or is it a blog where you see yourself as like a commentator on a specific topic? Like, what? what, how do you see
1: it? The way I've always described it is it's a sandbox. Uh, And what I mean by that is it's a place for me to to play with ideas and with new, uh, you know, my thoughts, new, like the the kind of like I, I went to school for journalism but but the the kind of stuff that i do sometimes would be classified as as journalism other times would be you know more opinion or editorial and and other times it's more like programmatic experiments um and i i i really don't i don't try to classify it too much uh the last thing that i wrote was uh was this last week with that um Controversy between uh, that toy company called Gold, Goldie Blocks and uh, and the Beastie Boys, and um, if you weren't following this, the the short version is that this uh, this toy company decided to do a parody of the Beastie Boys' girls song and uh, in a in a advertisement, and that they put on uh, on YouTube with like a big Rube Goldberg device, and uh, and they didn't clear it they didn't try to license it and they wouldn't have been able to anyway, because the beastie boys don't license any of their music for, uh, for advertising. And in fact, Adam Yauch's uh, uh, MCA's final wishes, like in his will, uh, he said, you know, forbid the use of any of his work in, in advertising. Um, so they did this and then, uh, the beastie boys lawyers contacted them and said, uh, and said, you know, what's going on. And, um, they took that as a as a threat, and so they uh, they tried to settle it settle it in the only way that you can with fair use, which is to um, to get a uh, to get a legal judgment from a from a from a court. And that requires filing a what's it called a declaratory judgment uh, lawsuit and uh and so it ended up just being this thing that spiraled uh, you know out of, out of control and there was a lot of a lot of a uh, you know emotion in this because it's you know it's like the beastie boys versus like this toy company that's trying to you know they're they're um they're trying to make uh, they're trying to make kind of toys to encourage uh female engineers and like it's like all of the, all of these like tempers flaring and it was this crazy thing and and what was frustrating to me is that in the comments everywhere and, and the articles were just fundamental misunderstanding of uh of the law and of you know fair use and copyright history and it's it it's just like something i've been writing about uh for a long time is is copyright is confusing and uh and everybody thinks they know how it works but very rarely you know i mean most most people don't there's a lot of misunderstandings and so uh so i basically just i wrote about it and and did uh did kind of myth busting uh for a bunch of uh a bunch of things that i was saying related to to copyright and you know the value the value there for me was just i couldn't like it was just agonizing to me to see people say you know it's an advertisement therefore it's not fair use like well there's (laughs) there's case law that shows that the you know in 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 court that uh that's not that's not necessarily true um you know where people would be like the beastie boys are suing goldie blocks like well that's not really what happened either but then they're like they're like goldie blocks is uh is on the offensive and they're and they're suing they're suing beastie boys and it's like well here's a reason why they may be doing that and you know or or uh like the the Beastie Boys always have a right to decide how their music is used. Well, that's not necessarily true either, you know. So, um, anyway, uh, and that was an example of—I uh, mean, I don't know what that is. It's not—it's not really investigative journalism. It's not quite an op-ed. I was doing—you know—I—I—I I, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't—it uh, wasn't just my—you know—bias or opinion. So I was like, actually, just citing case law. <laughs> Over and over again, being like, "Well, you know, here's what the Supreme Court says," and people found it useful. It got, uh, it ended up being a thing that, that a lot of people were were linking to, and you know, and other times, other times it's just me talking about you know supercuts or whatever else, just something I I think is something I think is interesting. That's a uh, some quirky corner of the web. Um, screens on screen was was an example from earlier this year where um, I had a collection of. Uh, this massive directory of 1,200 screenshots from nearly 50 films uh, of computer UI, uh, like fictional, usually fictional UI in in movies, and uh, and I hadn't really done anything with it, so I just opened the directory and I wrote about it. I said, "If you want to do something with this, here you here you go. Here's 1,200 screenshots of computer interfaces from old <laughs> from old movies," and people <laughs> flipped out. They're like, ah, "So like," and a bunch of people made made UIs for it and. Uh, and you know I don't like i said i uh i I just write about the things that i that I care about i wish i um, I've really been trying to to make a concerted effort to to do it more um, uh to write to write more frequently and to write about uh about smaller things instead of just big long long pieces because uh those are often the ones that i that I like the most are, uh, are when I just see something funny or interesting and, and write about it.
0: How did you come to get involved with Kickstarter?
1: Kickstarter. Okay. So Kickstarter is a great story. Um, I I had left, a, I, I really just left Yahoo and I was so burned out on Silicon Valley and startup culture and like that entire scene. And so I fled California with my wife and my son and, and moved to Portland, Oregon, and, um, and I, was, I was like, I'm going to take some time off, I'm going to do some writing, work on new projects, and, uh, and it was right about that time that, uh, that I got an email, again, from, from Katerina Fake, uh, one of the co-founders of Flickr, and, uh, and she said, I, I described a project to her that I was, that I was uh, planning on working on, and she, she was like, you know, I just met this guy. Who is working on something similar, and I really think you should talk to him and it was Perry Chen who who's the, who was the uh, CEO and, and co-founder of Kickstarter and at the point that I, I met him they uh, they hadn't they didn't have a line of code I mean they'd gone through this process of uh, the, the three the three co-founders, absolutely brilliant guys, but um, you know they'd be the first to tell you that none of them none of them are are engineers. None of them are like, they, they didn't have a technical co-founder. Um, and so what they were doing was like hiring contractors and the contractors would like pick some, you know, framework and they'd be working on it and the thing would fall apart. Um, and that had happened, uh, at least two times by the time I met them, maybe three. And, um, and so what I, what, uh, and the funny thing about this is that the, the idea was there, like everything they had, they designed it they knew the the uh uh, payments processor that they wanted to use they'd done all this research (laughs) they they had uh like mock-ups and mock-ups and and like this amazing design document of like the entire thing that they wanted to build out um they just hadn't been able to build it and so um so I ended up uh coming on board as a as an advisor and a board member and uh and helped them hire the technical team decide on the platform decide on the look infrastructure the hosting and, and all that and then uh they'd asked me if i wanted i don't know if I ever talked about this they they asked if I wanted to um to come on board as a founder but i'd really just left yahoo and was like i need (laughs) i need some 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 time and uh and so that's when i came on like i was board member and advisor and uh, i was interviewing candidates and doing the whole thing uh that maybe like a cto would do and uh and then it launched and it was like i knew i knew when i met these guys i saw i saw their vision and what they wanted to do and I, i i knew that if they could just get it out the door that it was going it had a really high likelihood of success um and and then and then it launched and it did like i did you know kind of bloop and i was like this is i mean the thing is amazing i knew i knew that it worked um very few people believed in it too it was a very funny thing like if you look at the press coverage of kickstarter's launch it's really dismissive it's very funny to, to look at in hindsight hmm. I'm, I'm looking at it and i'm like this thing is incredible it's absolutely what the world needs right now and um Anyway, and so so you know a certain amount of time went by, and and uh, I ended up joining as uh, as CTO, and and that was awesome, and uh, and then like the entire company was consolidating in uh, in New York, and uh, kind of faced with that, uh, I made the difficult decision to step back and and go. Back into being an advisor but i've worked with them on and off since the since the thing launched after exo ended uh uh last year i worked with them full-time for six months on various things and um yeah i mean i'm i've been close with them for a long time i mean kickstarter is absolutely incredible it's one of the best things i've ever uh, uh i've ever worked on and it's created so many it's spun so many interesting projects uh, out of it it's made them possible and and uh like the first exo exo was a Kickstarter projects and it was perfect for that. It's like that was that was an idea that uh, you know would have been really risky, and it effectively eliminated all risk. It it was like we could Andy McMillan and I could throw out the idea and see. You know, we basically said if if it sells out completely, then we'll do it, and if it doesn't, we won't, and that's fine. You know, it's like mm. it would be sad to go and walk away and you know from this idea, but that's it's okay. Um, we would rather we'd rather know now. <laughs> then then try to do it, and then you know potentially lose a lot of uh, a lot of money and a lot of time on something that that people don't want and fortunately, everyone really believed in it and it and it happened uh, within two days it sold out the first one sold out so so that wasn't a problem but it was really um it's just a remarkable uh uh tool a remarkable tool for getting uh, your ideas out into the world.
0: How do you think that? I mean, this is a for you. This is a, 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 quite a loaded question, I think. But how do you think that Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding in general is is changing the internet for makers and independent people? Oh, that is a
1: that's a big question.
0: Big, right? Because that, that's XOXO, right? You go to XOXO and you'll find out. And we'll talk about XOXO in a moment. But like, how do you think that, like? The chances of of an independent person making something and it being a success, like, do, do you find them to be a lot greater now? Like, has Kickstarter helped that, or is it, or is it not helped that? Like, I
1: don't think there's, I don't think there's any question that it's that it's helped it because what the way that uh, you would get your your work out in the past was, uh, you know, there'd be there's really three paths you could you could try and bootstrap it entirely yourself, uh, which works for some. For some projects, but not for others. Uh, you, if you had a, a rich family friend, you know, or you knew somebody uh, to bankroll it, you could get them to do it. Or, you know, if you were lucky enough, then you could could work with a publisher. And so, and and that this is true of virtually every sector of art and tech. Uh, video games and musicians and and books and you know magazines and and filmmakers like you would have to work with a, a record label or a film studio or you know you'd have to get funding through a um through angels or VC or you'd have to like you know or you could you could that's if you you know wanted to go through a through a publisher and then they would take a you know they're taking depending on what what industry you're in and, and which publisher you're working with you're, they're often uh they're often taking uh they're exerting creative control in order to be able to to make sure that it's uh, marketable or what they think is marketable uh they're taking they're taking ownership uh in in music for decades they were taking uh control over the masters the master recordings um you know you're giving up a lot uh and and if you don't do that path, then there's this massive financial risk, either for you or, uh, or investors. And what's, and what Kickstarter's changed there is that you can, you know, if you either have a, a strong fan base or a really you know powerful idea, and ideally both of those, <laughs> that's, the, those are the best. Um, but if you have either one of those, then you can, you can kind of throw it out there and, uh, and, you know, test the market and see, uh, see if this is something that's, that's worth doing and, and, uh. You know, you're not really you're not risking bankruptcy in the process. Um, and you don't have to have anybody telling you that you can't uh that you can't do it. You know, a publisher would be like, you know, try getting your book published, try getting your board game published. Look, the board game the board game industry is amazing, uh, uh microcosm of of how Kickstarters change things. Because board games are really expensive to produce. Uh Your chances of getting your idea, oh, they're all, and they're also, like, you know, they're sort of, uh, uh, like, a lot of board game creators come up, they spin up ideas, and so there's there's far more ideas out there than than what the existing industry could support, and so your odds of getting your board game idea published by, you know, Hasbro or Milton Bradley or something is absurdly absurdly low, Um, and so what this what this did was it enabled all of these like, uh, board game geeks to go and, you know, find each other and on a site called board game geek and, and others, but to go like find each other and throw out the idea, like develop it and, and explain it and sort of force you to communicate your idea too, to kind of develop it to the point that you can, you can show people and, and, uh, you know, make a video and describe it in, um, uh, you know, in this, in this description, and then if there's interest in it then you you have the you have the capital you have the upfront money to be able to to go and make it and um you know then that's just board games you see how how it's changed filmmaking how it's changed uh, the video game industry uh for you know indies and music and everything else yeah i mean it's there's no question that this is we are, we are like. I feel like we're just at the beginning of this stuff too. But this is the best time right now uh, to be able to go start something new. You know, you had, you had all of these. Um, I mean, aside from funding, um, what a publisher did in the past was, you know, yes, they they gave you an advance, they gave you the money to be able to to help make uh, your your initial product, but they also handled uh, they handled elements of the production, uh, they handled the marketing, they handled the distribution. Um, but new self service platforms have just made that possible in a way that uh that you you really couldn't do in the past, and a lot of those are are new within the last five years which is crazy so yeah there's no there's no question that that uh the kickstarter you know carving out the the funding of that problem which which is really the heart i think it's maybe the hardest part of that problem mm. um was was getting the upfront capital um and, and really the big missing piece is everything else you know if you think about you think about uh, production you know home home production and software kind of changed that so you didn't have to go into a I mean depending on the level of professionalism like you can you can have a home studio now you know if you're a musician you can uh, the the tools for filmmakers have have become you know far more affordable and uh, game development and so on um, uh, marketing is has been like the idea of having to, needing radio and TV is kind of silly now. And, uh, social media kind of replaced that in a, in a lot of ways. Um, it, and you're able to connect directly to fans. So you have a lot more, a lot more control over, over what you say. And, uh, and then distributions like digital distribution. It's like, you don't need to get it in a bookstore or record store necessarily anymore. It's like, that's, those are optional theatrical distribution for a film. So <laughs> who needs it? <laughs> um, you know, there's some projects where, where that's, where that makes sense. And, the, and, and, and what's happening over and over again is like new plat new platforms are are appearing to help fill those gaps. So, so let's say you're not content with just, you know, streaming, uh, or, or, you know, DRM free downloads as a filmmaker, uh, and, and you want to use, so you want to go beyond VHX and you want to go beyond, uh, beyond iTunes and, and, and Netflix. So, uh, let's say you do want theatrical distribution. Well, you know someone out there is realizing yeah that's should be a thing and there's also struggling film uh uh struggling theaters so let's build a platform to put those two together and there's a platform now called tug with two g's that's like that's what it does is they 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 try to uh to measure the you know the demand for uh for getting a film into into local theaters and they try to connect those things together so that you can if you're an independent filmmaker that doesn't have that's like not locked into this the studio system and 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 uh theater monopoly and try to bring an independent theater owner with uh with independent filmmakers and and you know with films that have a proven audience online so it's happening over and over and over again anyways um which is awesome and it's great. I just want, you know, uh, I want to bring those people together and and make sure that more of that stuff happens. Just keeps the world interesting.
0: So I wanna talk about XOXO. But, but yeah. before we do that, I need to just take a, a quick a quick second break to, to thank shutterstock.com, who've also supporting this episode. They're making it possible. Shutterstock is where you're going to find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. You can start searching at Shutterstock.com and you're going to find the perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or just about any other creative project. Shutterstock gives you a global image collection to help you find media from across the world to help suit your projects. Whether you want to choose between image packs, monthly subscription packages or just download a la carte you can do that. Um, every time you visit Shutterstock, you're guaranteed to find something new since they add over 20,000 new images every single day and 12,000 videos every single week. And it's more affordable than you think with no extra charge for large files. If you need an image at a higher resolution, you can take it now, you can take it later, it doesn't matter, you can just go back and get it. They have this really awesome thing called light boxes. So it's just searching around the Shutterstock site, and you you're like, you like you find stuff that you like. You can add them to a light box, and then you can review your light box images later and choose the ones, choose your favorites, and download those. And they also have an iPad app that you can do this on too. They have enhanced license access if you need it. They have dedicated account reps in case you need those Um, and they also have 24-hour support during the week but they don't just do images and videos they have a huge library of vectors icons and infographic templates as well if you are a person that's looking for this sort of media, Shutterstock is definitely the place to go. And if you go sign up for a free browser account now, so you can do that at Shutterstock.com. You don't need to give them any credit card to do that. You can just go sign up for an account and start searching around. And I can get you 25% off any package at Shutterstock.com if you use the code CMD1213, so command 1213. It's going to get you 25% off. Thanks so much to Shutterstock for the support of Command Space and 5x5. How did you meet Andy McMillan?
1: I met Andy McMillan through uh, through the the aftermath of kind of bloop uh, and the and the uh, legal headache that I went through um, regarding the cover art. What happened was uh, was I went through this. Um, so basically, uh, back up for people that don't know the story. I'll give you a tiny tiny abbreviated version uh i, I put out that uh, chiptune jazz album that i mentioned which was a uh, a tribute to miles davis's kind of blue uh using nintendo entertainment system and other other like classic uh uh video game consoles uh that really that that not necessarily the console itself but but trying to use that 8 bit sound to you know uh, to cover what i think is really the best uh, among the best uh, jazz albums of all time, and it was the fiftieth anniversary of kind of blue and so uh, wanted to thought it would be great you know and so I commissioned uh, uh, musicians to go and make the uh, do cover each song on the album and uh, and all of that went great i licensed uh, licensed the music uh, um, but the the album art uh, was <sighs> I wanted to do a pixel art version of the of the original album cover. And I tried to do it myself, and I couldn't because pixel art is very hard. So I got uh, uh, I got a friend of mine who's a pixel artist to do uh, um, to you know do an eight bit uh, pixel art version of of the original artwork. And uh, and so what ended up happening was that the the photographer that took the the photo of Miles Davis for that uh, for that album cover, uh, his attorneys reached out to me uh, after every one of the the albums was was sold, and and you know because the we only printed enough CDs for the Kickstarter backers, and it you know, gave all the uh, all the money from that Kickstarter project to the to the musicians, and and used it for for production of the CDs and licensing. And then uh, and so once uh, once all the CDs were out, then I got this I got this you know like, lo- email from a lawyer, and like they asked me to take it down. Of course, I took it all down. And then they said that's not enough. They wanted to... they wanted a, a, a Recompensation or whatever, and, and so we ended up ended up settling out of court. They were going to take me to court for one hundred thousand dollars and uh, I had to get an attorney and ended up settling out of court for thirty two thousand five hundred dollars so um, with the one concession that I was able to write about it, uh, which is very unusual it's very unusual for uh, for a copyright uh, settlement to be able to to talk publicly about it usually there's like a gag order neither side can talk about it but i i really wanted to so so there and i can't even that,
0: imagine how how hard you had to work to get that
1: yeah well it's i mean it was it was something that uh, that i really pushed for cuz it would be i just I, i'm not comfortable with that i'm not comfortable with just you know, sitting, sitting quiet about it all. I knew, I knew that I had to be able to talk about it. Um, and so the agreement was that I would be able to write a blog post and he would be able to write a blog post and that, uh, I would link to his blog post too, so that they'd get, you know, equal sides and that they had to be able to review it beforehand. So I wrote this big thing and it's a, you know, it's this big, uh, long blog post about, uh, about why, uh, we felt like a strong we had a strong fair use case. Why it was fair use? Why uh, uh, why I was settling? Which short version is that? It's even if you believe it's fair use, it's extraordinarily expensive to, to litigate. And um, uh, and also, what does this mean for for remix and and uh, like remix culture and and for people that that you know use elements of, of appropriation in their art and and what does it mean for you know, projects that, uh, projects, you know, like, like mine and, and anyway, so, uh, so I wrote this blog post, but, and they approved it right away, um, with like little to no change. And then I didn't post it. It's like, I was, I don't know why I didn't immediately post it. I mean, I waited, I waited months. I waited, uh, I waited like eight or nine months to, to go and actually post it. And, I mean, I know why uh, I was, uh, it's like, you ever, you heard, you ever heard of the term chilling effect? Yeah. Like the, when you, when you have an experience like that, it, uh, it impacts the way that you're, that, that you, uh, that you behave. It changes, it changes your willingness to like talk and to create new things. And, and like those, those like months, like I had the blog post written and ready to go and I, I couldn't hit publish. It was even, it was in my, my like blog management software. Like I, I had it ready to go, but I just, I didn't feel like, uh, uh, I could, I could post it. And, and so, um, and also I really wasn't doing it. I, it, it, it affected my other work too. Like I, I, I'm someone who, like I pride myself on the fact that I'm, you know, I'm often doing and putting like putting new interesting things out in the world. But, uh, but that was a difficult time for me. Finally, like I hit a point where I was like, it was it was like agonizing to me and and i just i decided to post it and uh and immediately like i thought i thought going up that it was a little bit inside baseball, you know it's like i thought that the the copyright fair use crowd would would care about it like the creative commons type of people the the people that care that you know the new creative commons license is out uh <laughs> this and whatever um but I didn't think it i didn't think it would had really wide uh uh appeal but i was wrong uh i posted it and immediately like it just blew up huge and uh people were very angry at uh at him photographers were very angry at me and it just became this this huge story where like his facebook page was they shut it down and and like i i had to like step in and be like this is not cool. You guys have got to like, it's okay to have constructive criticism, but you can't just go like, uh, you know, attack this old guy. Um, It's not cool. And uh, someone blew up the pixel art version of the, of the artwork and like plastered it outside of uh, uh, his house in the Bowery, which is, which sounds bad, but it's like his, his place is like a, it's a very unusual house. It's a, it's most of a block in, in the Lower East Side of New York, it's a, it's a converted bank building. The entire, the entire ground floor outside walls are are like a haven for graffiti art and it's street art. It's like a known uh, venue for that kind of thing. But they, yeah, so they blew they blew it and like paste, pasted it up, uh, and it said like "All artists theft," you know, on the. So it just became this like huge, huge story. And by the end of this day, I was just I was absolutely wiped out. And so I just I went on Twitter and I was like, I'm gonna go get a beer. <laughs> at this place. And if you want to join me, you you know, go ahead. And so uh, a whole bunch of friends showed up and, uh, and like, like Nevin Morgan, who you just interviewed was there. Frank Chimera was living in, uh, was living in, in Portland at the time. And he came out and Andy McMillan, who I, I did not know, but who, uh, who was, I think he may have been staying with Frank. Um, Frank, Frank told him, was like, Hey, did you see this thing? And Andy had of course seen the blog post and and so he came out uh he came out that night and uh and so we met there for the first time. But it wasn't until uh he he went back to uh back to Belfast. Or wait. No, I think he may have still been in He went back to Belfast, came back to Portland and uh and Nevin Morgan uh I'd been telling him about this about this idea that i wanted to do i wanted to do a independent festival and i wanted to kickstart it and uh and he's like you know andy mcmillan do you know andy mcmillan because i think he's thinking of doing something similar in portland i was like oh crap (laughs) it's like uh you know i i knew that he was doing this thing called build uh in in belfast that uh that was more for like the for web design uh but it was uh you know had really great reputation and seemed to have a similar ethos and and did interesting things and here he's like here he's thinking of doing something similar in Portland I was like I thought at the very least let's make sure that that we're not stepping on each other's toes so we we arranged to meet at a bar and uh, and that was really the first time that I really got to got to talk to him and we 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 sat down and was like, let's just pitch each other you know our ideas and so I explained uh, my idea for XO and he's and he you know was like. Then it was his turn. He's like, uh, I was basically thinking about doing something, you know, very, very similar. Uh and and so it was at that that very first meeting that we decided to work on it together. And um and and so for the people that haven't gone, you went. Yep. Uh, uh for the people that haven't gone, the the idea behind XOXO is that it is a it is a festival and a conference uh about independent art and uh, and tech so taking independent artists like, like we've been talking about that are you know, musicians and filmmakers and so on that are, that are using technology to make a living doing what they love independently on their own and then uh, and then put them in the room in a room with a, with a bunch of uh, uh, geeks that are you know either doing the same thing on their own uh, or that are building the platforms that that they use to to make a living and you know the idea there is that there's I think all of these people have a lot to learn from one another. There's, there are a lot of parallels between, uh, between not just the, uh, the different kind of segments of art, like filmmakers can learn from, from musicians and so on, and the tools that they're using, but, but also, uh, uh, hackers and, and, you know, coders, makers, like they are, they have, they could learn a lot from artists and, and vice versa. And, um, so we do uh we do two days of talks, but we do a whole bunch of other stuff. We do uh we do events around the city. We do uh we do a concert of indie musicians. This year we had we had Jonathan Colton and and uh Jim Guthrie and Anamanaguchi and you know, like really awesome, awesome mm-hmm. bands. We had uh uh we have we have an arcade of uh, experimental indie games, like projected huge multiplayer games, physical games, uh, with all of the game developers there for you to to talk to, and you know uh, if you want to you want to meet them, you want to ask them about their games. They're they're there. Uh, we do uh, we do a big market of uh, indie indie projects. Uh, Kickstarter ran a ran a lab uh, downstairs where they were showing off projects, and they made a book in in three days, funded it. Uh, got all the designs from the backers printed and distributed it um and we do a film we do a film night of all indie films with the filmmakers doing q and a uh we do uh tabletop was new this year where which was awesome ended up working really well board and card games got uh again got the the uh the creators of these games there running running their games and and showing them off to people that might not have seen them otherwise and uh and a whole lot of open bars. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yep. some really some really good uh beer. I was really happy with the curated a list of uh amazing local uh microbrews and uh really good food. We just have food carts on the street, close the street down. So a bunch of stuff. Um but the the hope is that out of that people uh you know are are Motivated to go and and if they if they haven't if they're if they're at a job where they haven't done anything on independently where they're you know just working on a side project or or whatever to be able to to meet interesting people to collaborate to, to be able to know that uh, that other people have done this before them and that and that it's and that's possible it's you know in a ways it's also kind of like a support group for people that are trying to like they're doing this stuff but it can be it can often feel isolating and and lonely uh to do stuff on your own compared to working at a you know at a job where a lot of people are going through the same stuff as you and you're with them every day um it can be a it can be an isolating thing and that was a the theme of the of the talks this year which if you haven't you you can go see them all they're all posted on on YouTube right now
0: and there are some just excellent just really really excellent talks that people should watch. It'll be an, I'll put it in the show notes. which we, I've been collecting links to loads of stuff that, that um, Andy's been mentioning today, and you can find those at 5x5.tv slash CMDSPACE slash 73. So both years of XOXO had totally different ticket experiences. So you had the Kickstarter for year one, which you spoke about, um, and then you had... I'm trying to find a way to say this, like the questions... Yeah. To, right. The, yeah. the whole question thing. Um, yes. What have the you questions. learned from both of these methods of of uh, having tickets for a conference? Because they're very different and very different things. I'm sure you learn from them.
1: They are. You know, the Kickstarter thing was worked out really great for us, uh, and and we would have done that again if not for one problem, which which was that the. We got a lot of press coming out of the first event, uh, a lot of blog posts, like a lot of the attendees wrote about, like, these are really, like, shining, you know, uh, glowing recommendations for the event, uh, high-profile people, too. It was great. Uh, but we also got press from, like, the New York Times, wrote three articles about us, Boing Boing did a long feature, The Verge did a long feature, uh, Wired wrote a long, a long piece, and, and every one of these is like, this is something that's worth paying attention to. And the problem with that is that, uh, it, it attracted a lot of people that didn't care about what we were doing, but they cared about the demographic and the reach of the people that were attending. And so, uh, I was, before the event even started, I, I was getting emails from, uh, PR firms and, you know, uh, marketing firms from, uh, VCs and from like all these all these people that really it didn't seem like they cared what we were doing, uh except that they they wanted to they either wanted to get at uh they wanted to market something to the people that were attending, or they wanted to you know, they cared about like the number of Twitter followers that the that the people were attending uh, you know, had and, and like getting to getting to those people. Um it's like I, I would get emails like you know, I'm the I'm the head of influencer marketing like I was like, what or like I'm getting the I'm the I'm you know, the direct marketing specialist for, you know, this this agency and we are we're thrilled to uh you know go to XO, the next XOXO. We uh, we're gonna bring the whole team. And like every time I'd get these emails, I'm like looking at this going, This is how it starts. <laughs> like this is how yeah. and this is how it ends, you know? And and, and Andy and I We only want to do this if it's going to be something that we ourselves would want to, would want to go to. We want like a really high signal to noise ratio. And at the same time, we don't want to, we don't want an invite only event. Like those, we don't want an exclusive thing where you have no chance of being able to go and, and it's not something that we wanted to do either. Um, so we didn't want to, we didn't want to like pick and pick and choose the, you know, like, just make a list of the 500 people that we want to attend and go send out send out invitations we didn't want to and we knew that we couldn't just open it up to the to the public either for the for that reason that you have you have a lot of people with a lot of money uh that are ready to ready to drop that money that that don't really care about what you're doing they just care about who's going um and marketing to them, uh, and so that's the reason we didn't use Kickstarter. So, so our solution to that was was kind of controversial, which was that um, we uh, we opened up uh, registration, and you didn't get a credit card form. Instead, you got uh, you got this questionnaire, which was basically three questions. It was uh, you know, what do you do? Uh, what are you working on right now? And what's something you've made that you're proud of? And the intent behind those questions is that. Uh, to us they 're really hard to bluff like they 're really hard like if you are you know the the person that's that 's you know hoping to uh to just market something to the demographic it 's like it's just it 's a really hard question to, to to bluff the problem with it is that people looked at those questions and they thought that we would then choose the most interesting answers and that's and we didn't explain it at all we didn't explain. And we, we we had like a very short explanation, but really we didn't explain how it worked, which was that we weren't doing that at all. What we were doing was is, is taking people first come first serve uh and just looking you know is this is this someone who makes something or not and if they are, we let them in and if not, they kind of went to the to the to the bottom of the queue where if if there was enough space left over, then you know they they'd get in, but they were effectively uh, low priority if you're not if you're not someone that's like a a maker a designer of you know, filmmaker, artist, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, and we, and we counted, you know, writers and coders and uh, of all kinds in that. And, um, and so, so that's how it worked. And we ended up, that was a mistake, like not explaining it, but our, our original intention was that we want, we wanted the flexibility to be able to change it if it didn't work. Um, and, you know, explaining it and then changing our mind and like, just seemed like a bad idea. And so we're just like, let's just do this, see how it goes. And, and so we did that first come first serve. We're like, it's easier than you think. We look at it and we're like, is there someone who makes something? Yep, they are. And that's it. They were in, they got an email, they were able to buy the, buy the ticket um, in the, in the order that they, that they filled out the form. The end result is that, I mean, you were there. I don't think there's any way to, to argue that it didn't, that it didn't work. The people that showed up Mm. uh, were as high caliber as the year before. They're, they're people that were like it's kind of an amazing thing to go into a room where where every single person is is someone that uh uh you know that that is making is making things whether you're doing it on the side or whether you do it full time it didn't matter to us if you're if you were at a PR agency or something and you on the side you were in a band or you were you know doing something interesting if that's the thing you talked about then we let them in too cuz you know our hope is that we can convince them to you know go and, and do stuff independently. So, um so that's how it worked and and it was it was risky and it, and you know it it upset some people up front because there was confusion about how it worked and and it and that was that was our mistake, but um, it really did it really did work. I mean, it was great uh I mean, whatever if we do XO again, I mean, that's we'll, we'll have some variation on that system cuz it was uh, uh it was effective.
0: I mean, I, I... Totally agree. Every single person I spoke to did something. And it wasn't like every single person, like, handcrafted a jewelry box or, like, was a YouTube musician. Like, there were people that did stuff like that. But there were people that were like, I'm thinking about building this new web project. Like, this is what I want to do. And I'm here for, like, inspiration. Like, it was just every single person had a story to tell in some way and uh, yeah and there were some people that were like this is what i do this is how i put food on a table and then there were other people was like i hate my job and (laughs) do this thing on the side and it makes me happy and it gives me like a purpose and and this is me coming to share that with other people that was kind of my experience with all of the people that i spoke to at xoxo
1: yeah i and that was my experience too and and i mean to you know there's there's a perception that uh that that it was like dominantly a list you know like that it was a uh, you know that there's like internet famous people and there definitely are some internet famous people in fact one thing i didn't mention which is which we which we do is is uh we take a we take a small percentage of uh of those people that apply and we'll yank them out of the queue wherever they are if it's someone that we think that the rest of the attendees would want to meet and so you know, that's like so if, if, if you, you get like um you know, uh, uh John Gruber or something, it's like, yeah, clearly there's gonna be uh attendees that have like cared cared about John or or, you know, like Max Temkin last year. You know, it's like someone like that is like, you know, they've made something that, that uh that we love and that we wanna meet them and they uh you know, other attendees care about then you know, we're gonna we're gonna pull them out of the queue regardless of where they are. Um, but the majority of the people, I mean, over eighty percent, like, were it was first come first serve, and so you end up with a lot of you know, kind of interesting serendipity from that. One example that I've cited a couple times is this is this kid uh, Alex Mackworth, who he's like fourteen, but he's an iOS developer, and he's like he taught himself a new programming language every month for a year. I think it was last year and he's, he's like obsessed with this like indie geek culture thing. And I, I didn't like when I saw his, when I saw his, uh, 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 registration come through and saw his answers. I was like, is this kid for real? This cannot be real. I think he was like 13 or 14, like maybe 13 when he applied super young. Um, and, uh, and so I should, like I showed it to Andy McMillan. And I'm like, this can't be real. And so, uh, I set up a Skype call with him and his dad and sure enough, kid is real and he showed up and, and everybody got to meet, like he was thrilled to be able to go to panic and, Hmm. uh, and meet, you know, a lot of who he considers to be his heroes. And, and, and then, and then everybody else was like thrilled to meet this kid too. It was like, you know, uh, was already doing interesting things at his, at his age. Now that would never have happened if, you know, it was, if this was set up like, like, uh, you know, Ted or, or, you know, some other invitation only thing. Um, because we don't know, we don't know all the interesting people I and mean, we especially don't know the people that are, that are just, you know, getting started at the beginning of their careers and some of the people that really, you know, need to hear this, uh, stuff. So, so that's, that's the way we ran it. And, um, I mean, I'm, I, I didn't think after the, like the first, uh, XO, I thought went really, really well. It was really uh it surpassed all my expectations. And I, I was really worried. Andy and I were both concerned about trying to trying to, you know, top what we did last year, but uh but after you hear enough stories from people and you're like, Yep, I guess we did <laughs> because we tried to take everything that we did last year and just make it better and um and uh I think I think people got that. Uh the talks uh I thought were outstanding this year mm. the all of the all of the evening evening events went really well it was just fun and and it was fun it was more fun for us too because last year it's like at least for me like it was my first big event Andy had been doing build but i i hadn't uh, done anything like that and you know i had a lot of anxiety about trying to get everything uh going well once it like once it was happening it was you know everything was in motion but you know you're still running around trying to make sure that everything Everything goes off well, and that people don't notice any of the problems that are happening and And this year, we were able to enjoy it so much more. I mean, I, I saw almost all of the musicians uh, perform. I got to play uh, most, if not all of the games. I got to see all the talks uh, and um, you know, uh, it was great. I got to talk talk to so many interesting people. it was a blast.
0: What are some of the um surprising things that occur when you're arranging something like this? Like when you're going through the stages of, of the facilities. Like oh. is there anything that's kind of like pops out where it's like, oh, I did not think I had to do that?
1: What like the logistics of yeah. running of running a large scale event? Uh huh. Uh yeah, well, I mean some of this we bring on ourselves. I mean most most events uh People use professional event spaces for a reason, right? They they choose to do things at convention centers because that's what those places do. That's what they do day in and day out, every single day. They're like running, they're running events. We don't want that because we want some, we want it to feel different. We don't want to be at the convention center because it's sterile and it's like at least in Portland, it's in an area of town that you know there's nothing nearby and you know like. Is just not something that we wanted, and so we do it at a very unusual space, which is this uh, this converted uh, uh, industrial laundry that was uh, converted into into like a, a very funky kind of art uh, art space, which is basically just a beautiful long hall, uh, and then like a ground floor that's like concrete concrete exposed ceiling, and like this this two story brick building in, in the middle of kind of industrial southeast Portland, uh, but it's super raw like last year it didn't have bathrooms at all this year it had they'd put in two upstairs small uh it doesn't uh it doesn't of course it doesn't have wireless it doesn't we put in everything the stage and the A, like the av and the lighting and the you know we have to run power throughout the throughout the building so that you know people can plug in laptops and you know we we built stairs for the entrance there's no stairs they didn't use those double doors that we use as a main entrance we built a deck outside in the into like a big yeah you saw it, like this big wooden deck that uh with like a railing and and like we hire like we rent these big lux- luxury restrooms because portable restrooms are awful typically and so i had to go and research that's probably my best story is like i have to go i had to go and and figure out how am i going to handle this bathroom problem and so i went and and drove all over, you know, uh, going like under the boonies of like far outside Portland to like, go look at portable bathrooms and what are our options and and finding these like luxury, they're called luxury restroom trailers where it has air conditioning and private stalls and running water. And you're like, okay, well that's something we're going to have to do because I just, I'm not comfortable having people I admire, you know, go use smelly portable bodies. So, um, there's a lot of things that come from you know there's like a lot of things that, that that happen and that go wrong and some of them are funny and some of them suck and uh but you know I I feel like it's my job to to make sure that everybody's just having a good time and that they don't notice um we had two windows that that shattered uh this year uh, upstairs one that someone went through while playing Johann Sebastian Joust, <laughs> just like shattered, <laughs> shattered a window. Another one, another one got knocked out by a, uh, by a huge gust of wind and, and like fell, fell two stories onto the sidewalk. And like, we had to go, you clean this up. People don't notice it. You, like you just try like, okay, we'll just take care of this and, and hide, you know, try to hide those things. And then, and then like this year, uh, we had, a, we had an attendee uh verbally, harassed a uh a volunteer and we that's something that we had to deal with for the first time too It's like he got he got uh he got too drunk at one of the one of the parties on the very first day and uh and he's like first this? day first day <laughs> yeah it's before any of the talks and uh and and he so. he like effectively you know sort of he used he made her very uncomfortable he's, yeah. he's basically sexually harassed a, a volunteer and we heard, we heard about it and and uh it gave us a chance to you know like fortunately andy and i had talked about it beforehand and like what would we do this is never gonna happen never <laughs> but just Not in a, case <laughs> what would we do you know and so uh so the moment that we heard about it like we went uh we took we, took her aside and got, got her story, tracked, uh, tracked him down, uh, got him to confirm, uh, what happened, took his badge and, and he, uh, and he, we kicked him out of the event, but like, and then she wrote about it, which is, you know, if you want to link to that, I mean, that's like, it was, it was one of the, like, it's a horrible thing to deal with, but, but it did, uh, it did sort of give us a chance to show, um, how we're different. And we wanted to make sure that everybody that's there feels, uh, Feels comfortable and safe, and um, you know, and so in that in that sense, it was. Uh, uh, I won't say that it was good that it happened, but um, but certainly her write up uh, of the of it, you know, made me made me proud
0: of the way that we handled that. Is that Kelly Kend? Yep, that'll be in the show notes. Um, one of the last things that I want to ask you, um, sure. XOXO. Is known to be very different in the way that, for the, both both years, the way that people speak about it after they've been, and it seems like it's something that people can only really talk about, or, or can, and it's difficult to articulate the way that it makes you feel. It, it seems like it's at a very emotional time. Um, every everyone that I was with that had been before said this and. I felt it, and everybody I was with at the time felt it. That the talks are very emotional, and because and, it's a lot. I mean, maybe this is a lot about uh, fears and like uh, the things that you're afraid of, and that sort of stuff. As as an independent person, what is it about XOXO that that creates this feeling in people? Do you know?
1: You know, I think um, I think part of it is the uh, is the very deliberate culture of, uh, like, I, 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 I'd like to say, you know, that it's sincere. Other people, this year, a lot of people were saying that it's, it's earnest, which is a word that I never really used, uh, in the past, but that there, there's definitely this, this sense, uh, that, that these are, these are all people that, uh, that are willing to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody. It's not the, it's like, it, it is a reaction to a lot of the cynicism that happens, uh, online, the, the anonymous knee jerk contrarian, you know, commenter culture, the, the, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of that kind of, cr- uh, knee jerk criticism and, and, and cynicism that, that happens online. I don't like any of that. And I, I prefer, there's not, I, nothing again, like, criticism criticism is useful and we had some outstanding uh, um, articles about about how we can make uh, XO better but what's great is that they're sort of long form and they're like they kind of balance the criticism with it, it's not just like it's not just writing something off it's not about like the kind of you know fail culture like looking at something that has like one thing wrong and just going like fail or or uh, or worse you know looking at it and being like meh meh it's it was mediocre like that sort of app you know, apathetic. Uh, the thing is, is like it's very, it's very difficult to put something new into the world, and it, and and you know, I, I've said this before. It, it's to me, it's a very brave act uh, to go and make something new, and all of the people that we are kind of featuring the game developers, the filmmakers, the musicians, the, and then everybody that's on stage that have all done a host of different things, they've all done that. And they know that. They know that it's, that it's hard to do and that you're opening yourself up to public criticism when you do that. And, and everybody that's in the audience is either – like it just seems to attract that kind of person. Um, and, and because of that, I think it ends up being a place where people feel – Safe enough to uh, to talk frankly about the, the the problems that come from doing that. Not just like, "Hey, I did these awesome things," but like, this is you know the the emotional toll that being independent can uh, can bring. Like, Cable Sasser's talk is a perfect example of that. But I, or or look at uh, Jack Conte from uh, from Pomplamoose. He's a musician who's now doing a, a wonderfully creative uh funding platform called patreon um and he he'd written a, t- a talk and then he saw the first day of talks and he's like you know he, he he came on the second day and he says uh you know i'm going to i'm going to give you the version i don't usually tell people uh because it just feels right here and you know and marco arment he's like he's He's saying this is the this is like a therapy session for myself. It's just an opportunity for people to, you know, you're surrounded by by other people that kind of you know that they're not going to uh, to mock you and to, you know, they're not going to. They're just nice people. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what else what else it could be, uh, and i i talk i've talked about that both times uh on stage i've said you know that i've i've when people register like i've seen what they'll do and i know that they're they're interesting creative people and and you know i, I encourage everybody to talk to everybody else it, it kind of makes or breaks your your enjoyment of an event if you if you go somewhere and you don't ha- you don't know a lot of people uh and even if you do know a lot of people the best like the best thing to do is is just to to you know Walk into conversations and talk to people, and I know that I knew that th- things would be fine because I would looked these people up, and I knew that they'd all done interesting things. And they're not going to be the kind of people that turn you away, and they're not going to be the kind of people that um, that are that are you know uh, dismissing the things that you've done if you haven't done that much. Um, and even the name itself, XOXO, is a bit of a filter. It's there's something you know, kind of. Uh, naive uh in a sweet way i think uh about it i mean it, the thing is named after hugs and kisses right and it's <laughs> and it's and so that's either going to immediately turn you off if you are that that like critical cynical type you're gonna look at that and be like you're gonna roll your eyes you know it's gonna be like i roll you know and and you'll know that it's not for you um and uh yeah I mean it's, it seems to it seems to kind of act as a filter, and and it's not just that I mean it's like it's, it does have this kind of pervasive feeling of sincerity around it that that turns off people, some people and um, and that's fine because it's not you can't make something that's for everybody. The only thing that we can do is make the thing that we want to exist. Just like everything, I've, everything else I've ever done, and you know, I'm making the thing that I that I want to exist. And especially, you know, if like you know, I'm taking I'm taking everybody's money, and they're like committing, they're they're trusting uh, us, and they're you know, spending the spending the time and and energy to come out. Um, we're gonna make something that uh, uh, we're gonna try to make something that's great, but also. Really, just that we're making the thing that that we that Andy and I would want to to go to, and that's like I think it keeps us uh, it keeps us honest. And if it's if you happen to be in the Venn diagram of you know like it, if your interests uh, overlap as uh, with us, then you know odds are you're going to have a great time. And if you care about the same things that we care about, uh, and like the overall ethos of uh, of independence um and uh and keeping the whole world interesting yeah then you you might you might have a good time
0: so i hope there's another one i mean i i feel like maybe you don't know yet but i hope that there will be cuz i would like to be there <laughs> well thanks
1: <laughs> i mean we we tell we told people uh, you were there you know we we say uh we don't know and and, and we don't know um we, uh, like the first one we thought would be a one-off and then it was, it definitely seemed like it had an impact. So we decided to do it again. And the question for us is like, you know, can we continue doing something that's interesting to us? Can, uh, will it have an impact on people? And it sounds like it is. I mean, it sounds like, you know, we, we keep hearing stories of people that are making significant changes, uh, because of the interactions and uh, that they had at XOXO, and that's great. I mean, we hear like we hear about uh, you know interesting projects that that you know got their start at at, at, uh, at XO, people that they met, um, you know, and ideas that they had, and and uh, that's what we want to see. And if that keeps happening, then then you know we'll we may do it again um, because uh, that's just that's a wonderful thing. So. We'll see. We haven't announced anything yet.
0: I hope so. Well, Mr. Bayo, where can people find you on the internet if they would like to do so?
1: I am at waxy.org always and uh I'm on Twitter as waxpancake and uh xoxo is xoxo on Twitter, uh where we will announce anything if we uh if we ever do it again. And um yeah, that's it.
0: If you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can do so. I am imike, I-M-Y-K-E. I'll be back next week with another episode of Command Space. If you want to find the show notes for today's episode, it's 5x5.tv slash CMDSPACE slash 73. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you, Andy, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks, Mike. Until next time, bye-bye.